Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 361 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Penny Lane, director of the new documentary Hail Satan about the Satanic Temple. The Satanic Temple, founded in 2013, is a religious community and activist group that seeks to uphold separation of church and state, and it's argued for years that if state and local governments are going to promote Christianity by placing Ten Commandments monuments on public property, the First Amendment requires that they also be willing to place the Satanic Temple's goat-headed Baphomet statue nearby. At this point, multiple governments have chosen to remove their Ten Commandments monuments rather than accept the Baphomet statue. The film follows characters such as Lucian Greaves, the temple spokesperson, and Jex Blackmore, who for years headed up the Detroit chapter. As the satanic temple grows from a handful of pranksters into a global movement with over 50,000 members, the satanic temple does not believe in a literal Satan or in anything supernatural, but they draw inspiration from the idea of Satan as a mythical figure who rebels against tyrannical authority, and through their seven tenets they preach values such as freedom, empathy, justice, scientific understanding, and bodily autonomy. The New York Times writes that Hail Satan is hilarious and a must-see. And now here's our interview with Penny Lane. All right, so we're here with Penny Lane. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Okay, so prior to making this documentary, what was your attitude toward church-state separation issues? Oh, I mean, I was a, you know, lifelong kind of atheist, but I wasn't exactly paying attention to church-state separation issues. Like, I, I sort of vaguely knew that there were some issues, but I, I wasn't, like, on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so growing up as an atheist, you didn't uh, have any problems with religion? Any? Uh, how'd you feel about taking the Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that? No, I remember like the Pledge of Allegiance thing being an issue for me in like third or fourth grade. Um, but I also remember distinctly not saying anything about it because I was aware that if I complained about it, I would be like a huge pain in the ass. And I didn't want to be a huge pain in the ass. I wanted my teachers to like me. Oh, uh, see, I took the being a huge pain in the ass approach, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because when I was a kid, you know, I used to um, volunteer to take the attendance list down to the office so that I could skip the Pledge mm -hmm. of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was in high school, I was just sitting, sitting, reading a book during the pledge. I was, I just. <laughs> you are a little more satanic than me, I guess. <laughs> um. But so you never had, because I always, I used to have people always say like, um, you don't believe in God. Does that mean you worship the devil? Kind of, did you have stuff like that? <laughs> no, I don't think I made like a big deal about it. I just didn't believe in God, but I don't think I like told anyone. Uh, yeah, it's probably the smart, smart way to go. <laughs> well, again, it depends if you like really want everyone to like you or not. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely don't. Um <laughs> But so, so, so in the process of making this movie, then did you sort of start becoming more uh, conscious of these kinds of church-state separation issues? Oh, absolutely! I, I definitely had no, like I said, I just wasn't, I wasn't like paying attention to it as an issue at all. Um, and I came across the story of the Satanic Temple and thought it was like really clever and really interesting and really smart. And so, in researching the Satanic Temple. 
And in doing this film, I became obviously a lot more um, knowledgeable about the fact that there were, that there is a kind of well-organized, well-funded, extremely successful effort on the part of a particular strand of evangelical Christian uh, at the highest levels of government, you know, and their stated explicit goal is to turn America into a Christian nation. And by that, they don't just mean, oh, most people are Christian. They mean the the guiding principles of our government should be, you know, the Bible and what, what, what your pastor said at church. And so I was not really that aware of, of the fact that that existed before working on this project. Did you interact at all with people who felt that way, who want to impose Christian doctrine on America? I mean, to the extent that you see them in my film, yeah. Like, you know, I did a quick interview with Jason Raper, the, the senator from Arkansas, who's, you know, the sponsor of the Ten Commandments monument bill. So he was the he's the one, the lawmaker who wants to put the Ten Commandments on, you know, state property in Arkansas and he was successful in doing stuff. So. so sure, I did a quick interview with him. Um but not really otherwise, because the film's about Satanists and Satanism and you know, the goal of the film was to center that perspective and to kind of render coherent to some extent to normalize it. So, you know, I didn't really think that with the 95 minutes we had, mm-hmm. you know, that we should use that time to repeat the stuff that you hear a million times a day on TV or everywhere around you, you know? Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and so talk about how you have these these efforts um, kind of aided and abetted by Supreme Court decisions like the Hobby Lobby decision that give special privileges to religious groups. And so then you have the Satanic Temple coming in and saying, well, we're a religious group. We want these same privileges for, for us. Well, I mean, you know, like it or not, we live in a nation that affords, you know, particular privileges and exemptions to religious organizations. We are a nation of religious people. We were founded as a nation of really, like, very radical uh, religious people, you know, who wanted the freedom to practice their religion. And so this country was begun by people who were extremely aware of the danger of having, you know, the state dictate what is appropriate religious expression. So this is not any kind of new idea. It's uh, it's the, the fact that we have the First Amendment in the United States is why America continues to be such a hotbed of religious thought and new religious ideas. You know, we've had that history all along. So the Satanic Temple is really not doing anything new in in a certain kind of way. They're simply innovating in the religion sphere, if you want to put it that way. Um, And, you know, again, kind of appealing to the First Amendment to be able to express their religion exactly the same as everyone else. So I think, it's uh, you know, on a political level, of course, you know, their activism work sort of functions as a stress test for the First Amendment so that we can sort of see if we are actually willing to live our principles. Um, but, you know, on a, on a basic religious level, like they're not doing anything terribly innovative. They're just people who have a religion who are wanting to be treated just like every other group of people that have a religion in America. Absolutely. You know, I um, I mostly in college studied constitutional law and 
you will never see Supreme Court decisions that are more intellectually dishonest than than these ones uh, on on church state separation, where where they'll say, you know, I mean, the, the legislators will say we're 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 implementing this law in order to promote religion and express our hostility to atheism. And then the, mm-hmm. the court is in the position where they have to come along and say, well, no, this this law wasn't intended to promote religion. And it's like right. they said that that's the, they said that's exactly why they're doing it. Common sense <laughs> tells you that's why yeah. they're doing it. And they just have to tie themselves right. into knots to, to get around that. Yes, I totally agree. And you see the same thing at play in our film with the Ten Commandments monument. Again, you know, the argument for keeping the Ten Commandments monument on government property is, well, this isn't actually a religious monument. This is really more about history. You know, this is about American history and heritage. But at the same time, the people who actually want that monument will stand at the dedication ceremony and make very explicit their goal uh, in making America a Christian nation. So I totally agree with you. You see the, the sort of hypocrisy in play all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I followed this issue a lot, but uh, I didn't even know until I watched your movie that so many of these Ten Commandments monuments were part of a movie promotion. That that just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's somewhat mind blowing. I have to agree with you. Do you want to say just yeah, t- say more about that? It was this uh, the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie. Sure. So, you know, we have these Ten Commandments monuments kind of all over the country. Some of them are on government property. Some of them are on private property. But one thing you notice when you start looking into this is that most of them look exactly the same. They have the same design. And so you're like, oh, well, there's some centralized design to the Ten Commandments monument. And it turns out that the monuments were created to look like the, the stone tablets that are carried down by Charlton Heston in the Cecil B. DeMille film, The Ten Commandments. And it's a particular design that was made by, you know, a civic group in the 1950s, but the uh, promotion of and the spread of and the creation of those monuments was funded and supported in part by Paramount Pictures as kind of a tie-in with their film. So it's really amusing because you have this kind of landscape where the Satanic Temple is always set up as a kind of inauthentic, insincere group, you know, and they try to kind of contrast the Satanic Temple with like, you know, of course, the, the sort of authentic and sincere religious expression of the Christian majority. And of course, that the, the sincere and authentic expression of the Christian majority is like expressed or it's represented by these Ten Commandments monuments. But it's very ironic that the Ten Commandments monuments are actually basically very expensive movie promotional items like giveaways. Hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they're not, and it's really reminiscent of other monument battles, you know, with like the Confederate monument battles as well, where it seems like these are really old and they're like really from like, you know, an, an old time in American history that we should preserve. But often you see that they're quite new um, and they're not kind of, they don't have the, the cultural heritage and history behind them that we are told they have. It's funny too, because in the movie, that moment where you you learn that is caught on film, so you kind of hear your voice saying, "What?" Yeah, no, I was definitely very shocked. Um, so yes, we kept we kept that in the film. 
Well, and yeah, I mean, speaking of how, I mean, I think most people don't know how recent so many of these things are, like, um, you know, the under God and the Pledge of Allegiance and in God we trust is the national motto. And I thought it was great that you put that in the movie, that these things trace back to the McCarthy era hysteria. Uh, I think more people need to know that. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why it's in the film, because I didn't know that either. And I would have assumed, I mean, you know, like when you think about how crazy and bizarre it is that the national motto is in God we trust, I think I would have assumed that at least, well, you know, it's from an old, it's from, it's from the founding of the country. It was a different time, you know, like I guess we can grandfather this crazy old thing in, but really it's like, you know, just a couple generations old, which is really, it just, it just really changes the way you think about it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the original motto was e pluribus unum from many one. And it's just so much better <laughs> as a motto in, in every possible way. Yeah, I'm surprised there isn't still an ongoing kind of bigger effort to change the national motto. I haven't I'm sure someone out there is like working on that. But it's it's interesting that I haven't been I haven't been made aware of any like significant momentum to really look at that issue. Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, we have this way of saying, well, you know, these are just ceremonies and slogans and, you know, it's just symbolism. It doesn't really matter. Why would it matter what the national motto is or why would it matter if there's some Ten Commandments monument on State House lawn somewhere in Arkansas? Or why would it matter if, like, the Phoenix City Council wants to have Christian prayers before their meetings? And I think that, you know... When you look at each of those things individually, you might say, well, it doesn't really matter. There's bigger problems in the world, you know, like who cares? But then the issue that the, the thing that I became aware of in making a film is that these things matter because they are part of this larger concerted effort that, you know, when you have something like the national motto, when you get you get you win that victory as a Christian nationalist. You know, the next time you want to, like, bring Christianity into the public sphere, you can then point at the money and say, well, don't we say in God we trust? Like, aren't we one nation under God? Don't we say that in the pledge? And isn't, isn't that now evidence for kind of the next thing that you want? So, you know, it's not like someone out there, some Christian nationalist politician gets their Ten Commandments monument, and then they're like, okay, all set, we're done now. You know, that Ten Commandments monument becomes kind of the, 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 the fulcrum for, like, the next incursion into government. That's what I saw in doing the research for this film that really changed the way I thought about those things. Yeah, I, I think it matters a lot. You know, I used to one of the first podcasts I really got into was called Free Thought Radio. It's uh, the podcast of the Freedom from Religion Foundation that litigates church-state mm -hmm. issues. And yeah. And every time that they had somebody complain about a church-state violation, that person would be just inundated with death threats and very often would have to move to a, a different town or something. And if right. you if you listen to the death threats, like, I think everyone or almost everyone said, this is one nation under God. If you don't like it, get out. And if, you know, if there was, you know, there are so many reasons for, for getting that stuff off the currency, et cetera. It violates the Constitution. It's just morally wrong. But if there were no other reason than that it inspires this sort of violent rhetoric, I mean, that that by itself, I think, would be reason enough to, to get rid of all of it. Yeah, I think that's right. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I think there's nothing particularly pernicious about the idea of religion in and of itself. I mean, religion is 
great. It's fine. It's good. It's, it's whatever, you know, if you're into it, you should be into it. But when you have religious ideas that have at their core, the idea that, you know, I have access to this one true way to live and every other way to live and every other idea is, you know, sinful and will send you straight to hell and might bring the apocalypse down as well, you know, then you have kind of a way of creating a justification for really evil behavior, like the real evil behavior. Um, You know, if you look back at something like the Salem witch trials where we were just, you know, murdering people for, for, for no reason whatsoever other than their supposed allegiance with the devil, and you see that in that context, the real evil is in the witch hunt itself. The witch hunt against so-called evil is what is evil, you know? So you end up with a situation where this idea of like, yeah, in God we trust or one nation under God, it kind of creates this impression that whatever we do then as a Christian nation is necessarily good. And it really is very problematic. Uh, as you said, it, it creates some um, justification for some pretty bad opinions and some even worse actions. I mean, the KKK is a Christian organization. Right. Well, I mean, when you're talking about the witch trials, I thought one of the most striking moments in the film is when Lucian Greaves says that, um, you know, even shortly after the Salem witch trials, people started realizing something had gone wrong and apologizing for it. But he says, nobody has apologized for the, the satanic panic in America in the 1980s. And it's yeah. just, it's just, you know, shocking that, that there's been so little, you know, people, people just sort of forget about it. it was, it was this, this whole thing that affected my childhood and the childhoods of lots of people and people just, it just sort of vanished and nobody has ever, there's never been any sort of uh, reconciliation or reckoning. Yeah, I totally agree. And that was part of the background of why I wanted to make this film. We obviously, in, in, in a film about the Satanic Temple, don't have that much space to go into the details of what happened during the Satanic Panic of the 1980s and 90s, but I at least wanted to create a reference point so that people would remember that that happened. It seems to me that people have really largely forgotten that entire cultural moment. Um, and it's a shame because a lot of like really, really, again, evil things were done to people and there's been no kind of, I mean, we haven't like learned anything from it uh, at all. And it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of like this open wound, I think, in our national history that really should be dealt with. Are the, the victims of the satanic panic who were, who were falsely sent to jail, have, have they, they've been released or are people still sitting in jail uh, on these nonsense accusations? So most of them have been released. Um, I believe there are still some people in jail, and really the most chilling part of the whole thing is that much of how that panic played out is that is was that, you know, let's say you're a local high school teacher, right? Like you're a high school teacher in a small town, and someone comes up with these um, crazy accusations that you are part of a satanic cult and you've been raping children after school or something. And in most cases, what would happen is, you know, that person would just leave town. They would just quit their job or get fired and no charges were were uh, filed, but they had their life, you know, fairly well disrupted or ruined and their reputation 
disrupted or ruined as well. And so there's countless stories like that that we'll never really know the the numbers on because we don't have court records or something to to refer to. So the the the, the nature of the problem was actually so extensive that it's hard to even measure the impact of it. I mean, one of the biggest just gut punch moments in the movie is when this character, uh, Hollow Axis, he makes this point that at the same time that all of these people were falsely being accused of these horrible crimes, that the Catholic Church hierarchy was committing these horrible crimes. And he says it was uh, projection. I thought I, I'd never thought about it that way before, but I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I agree with you. I felt the same way. It's a very, um, it's a very astute observation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I really identified with this character, Hollow Axis, because he, uh, you know, he sort of his path to Satanism involved playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, as a teenager, and um, you know, having adults saying that it was evil, and and he just knew it wasn't, and knowing that adults can just be so wrong about such basic things. Um, and I, I mean, I was, uh, some, you know, I, I, I loved Dungeons and Dragons. I still love Dungeons and Dragons and we weren't allowed to play it in school because yeah, the adults thought it was evil or dangerous or something. I'm still really, really bitter about that. You can maybe hear in my voice, <laughs> but, um, well, you're not alone. I felt that many, 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 not to like completely stereotype anyone, but many of the Satanists that I met today, uh, share that story and, and still play Dungeons and Dragons every weekend. Yeah. Did you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? Or have you ever played? No. <laughs> no, I, I really don't even understand exactly how it works. <laughs> oh, well, you should, yeah, you should, you should join a satanic Dungeons and Dragons game sometime. I mean, that seems like uh, the ideal setting yeah. to play. That sounds fun to me. <laughs> so what have you thought overall of the way that the media has portrayed the satanic temple? Oh, um, I would say that you know, in general, the assumption that is made about who the Satanic Temple is and what they're doing is just very surface level. You know, it's like, you know, like here are these people that say they're Satanists and they must be kidding because we don't know what Satanism is and we didn't know it existed and we don't have time to look into it. So we're just going to wrap up this very short news story by by asserting that what you have here is a parody religion, something along the lines of, um, you know, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster um, or the Church of the Subgenius. And it's really, uh, it does a lot of, well, it just doesn't do anyone any favors because it's just not true. <laughs> so it's unfortunate because, you know, um, they always like end on that note. It, it, even the reviews of my film, even after watching this 95-minute film where it's very evident that the people in my film are extremely sincere in their point of view and quite uh, kind of deep in terms of their religious philosophy. Uh, sometimes, even then, after having watched the film, some film critics will say, parody religion, uh, satirical religion. And it just it's just a, a misconception based on so many things. The, the most important one is that the fact that they have fun and have a sense of humor and like play with that, you know, is sort of interpreted as, well, that must mean they're just kidding, you know? So for me, one of the goals of the film was to show that 
you can be having a good time and telling jokes and being performative and even trolling people to some extent, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are like simply a troll and you're just kidding. You know, I don't know how anyone can watch my film and walk away from it with that point of view. So I think that's the most frustrating thing for me. Um, most members of the media uh, who cover the Satanic Temple, um, you know, they're not afraid of them, right? Like we're talking about like media people. So they don't, you know, in the mainstream media anyway, they don't tend to think like, oh no, these people are are evil and they're doing the work of the devil and I'm afraid of them and I'm going to cover them in that way. They just mock them. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the overall take on it, I think. Well, I heard you say in another interview that that Lucian was mainly only able to book appearances on Fox News and that they would just yell at him um, and he would just go on because nobody else would um, would talk to him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he wasn't getting, you know, invitations from other news networks in general. So, you know, the only the only kind of mainstream news organization that paid any attention to the Satanic Temple was uh, Fox News, you know, and part of what has been gratifying about making this film and releasing it in such a wide and kind of mainstream way is that now, you know, um, NPR is covering the Satanic Temple as well as Fox News. <laughs> so that's like a nice, it's a nice uh, evolution, I think, in, in terms of who's paying attention to this phenomenon and the kind of nature of the coverage of it. Right. I mean, what do you think about the power of documentary films to bring attention to a group like the Satanic Temple? Because I think people tend to think of documentary films as being somewhat uh, of niche interest. But I felt watching this movie that this could really, you know, catapult the Satanic Temple to a whole new level of uh, in the public consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the hope. Uh, I, I think what the Satanic Temple has to offer is really profound. I mean, whether you're approaching it from a sort of political activist level and, and what you're interested in is in um, the way that they expose um, the, the failures of the United States to live its values as expressed by the First Amendment of the Constitution, or whether the interest is in the nature and function of religion and what religion can and should be in modernity. I think the Satanic Temple has this incredibly rich and thought, thoughtful, well-thought-out, coherent, and really interesting kind of worldview that just has a lot to offer, like, everyone. Like, it just feels like something that there would be something in this story for everyone. But that being said, I mean, you know, not just uh, what you said in terms of documentaries having sort of mostly niche audiences, my film is called Hail Satan, <laughs> and there's only so many people who are willing to walk up to a ticket counter and say the word Hail Satan in order to enter a movie theater, you know? So there is a kind of built-in limitation to the audience, which is fine. I mean, do you have any sense of whether the uh, the ranks of the Satanic Temple are swelling as a result of this movie coming out? I don't know if the ranks are swelling as a result of this film, because I don't have access to that information. I know that the Satanic Temple's membership has been growing pretty steadily and at a really rapid clip for basically the entire time it's been around. 
Um, and I would be surprised if they don't get an uptick in, you know, at least queries from people or people Googling it or, you know, finding out if there's a local chapter. So I, I would expect that kind of outcome. Although, again, of course, the film isn't made as a recruitment tool, but it certainly does make many more people wonder if they might be a Satanist than, you know, ever before in American history. <laughs> there are lots and lots and lots of people who are walking out of a movie theater as we speak, kind of in a daze, wondering if they are a Satanist and having for the first time in their lives to justify why they are not a Satanist to Satanism seems so obviously good. Have you seen any really dramatic conversions of, of someone who was, you know, like a hardcore evangelical Christian and they became a Satanist after watching the movie? No, I don't think that that happened. <laughs> I wouldn't expect that uh, to happen at all. Hmm. I mean, so was the you mentioned that, you know, the Hail Satan is sort of just a controversial title and everything. Did you have trouble as a filmmaker getting the movie made because of the, the controversy in terms of a crew and, uh, you know, producers and distributors, that kind of thing? Well, I would say not really, because if anything, I would say that uh, Satan and Satanism has, you know, long proven its ability to sell tickets um, and attract attention. So I think it probably, to some extent, helped us in terms of funding the film. We did have uh, some some shoots, some some shoots where we had to hire a local crew, where people we contacted to run, you know, sound recording or to run a second camera, found out what we were working on and, and sort of politely said no, thank you. Um, so that did happen, um, and that's not that surprising to me. It's a, a very misunderstood religion for for I think what are obvious reasons um, to some extent being misunderstood is is sort of part of the game. It's like part of what they're asking for by calling themselves Satanists um, and causing that kind of confusion in other people is part of what they actually aspire to do. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising that, that there were people along the way who were like, no thanks, you know, at the first mention of the word Satanism. I mean, uh, my understanding is that you're a college professor. How did the people at your school react to, to your Hail Satan movie? It's the same as every other group. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say that there was any difference in terms of, like, the proportion of people who laughed and seemed interested versus the proportion of people who were like, no, thanks, you know, and just kind of had that kind of immediate gut reaction of being offended. I mean, a lot of people are just very offended by, like, I would say most people find the idea of Satanism very um, offensive and, and really kind of disturbing. And I don't blame them for that. Um, I think the documentary film audience members are people who are willing to, you know, update their their opinions based on new information being provided them. So if you think a Satanist is someone who, you know, venerates evil and worships the devil and kills people and, you know, tortures animals and rapes children, then I can understand why you would be turned off by the idea of a group of people saying like, hey, we're Satanists, we want equal rights. But the fact is that's not what they do and that's not who they are. 
Um, and, you know, the Satanic Temple was very much like for people to perhaps learn to judge other people based on their actions, not based on what they look like or what you might have heard about them on daytime television. I mean, one of the crowd shots in the film, one of, there's sort of a protest, and there's this, this Christian holding a sign that says, blasphemy is not free speech. And that really jumped out at me because that seems to represent a total misunderstanding of what free speech is. Uh, I don't know if you, if you talk yeah. to that person at all. But... Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I talked to that person specifically, although it was actually uh, a common sentiment that was found on lots of those signs. Um, you know, at some point, there's, there's just nothing to say to someone, you know? I mean... What are you going to do, like, walk up to that person and try to, like, explain what the Constitution says? Like, we obviously have bigger issues psychologically than than, than reading comprehension. Um, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, no, it is very, and it's not surprising at all, right? Because there's all kinds of people on all sides of all political and cultural divides that don't understand what the First Amendment actually is for. And, and really, you know, this idea of being offended the idea that someone else would say something that upsets you and, you know, your desire to kind of want to shut that down, it's quite natural. You know, we don't, we all experience the feeling of it. Like you just want to be like, Hey, shut it up. That's awful. That hurts my feelings. That makes me feel bad. That goes against what I was taught in school or taught in church or whatever. But the, the, the bald reality of it is that the first amendment is there to protect precisely that kind of speech, because you don't need some kind of law to protect the speech of people who are popular and are saying popular things like we're all good with those things, you know? So I felt like elevating the the role of these people, the satanic temple members who are expressly kind of trying in a sense to offend people who are expressly trying to blaspheme and to be heretics and to say uh, unpopular things, things they know people will hate. Um, you know, I thought that in a way is kind of a heroic role. And that was the, the position that I wanted the film to take was kind of what would happen if we elevated the role of the heretic to, you know, almost like heroic status. And ultimately, I found that extremely inspiring. I mean, people often ask, like, what was the most surprising thing about this film? And the answer is that I did not expect to be as uplifted and inspired and like moved emotionally by the story and by the people that I met. But that is what happened. Yeah, but there, there just seems to be this systemic breakdown in our ability to teach basic civics where people think, oh, well, you're free to be inoffensive. I mean, that's like some George Orwell stuff. Like, what, what, what is the freedom to be inoffensive? And, and so many people seem to think, yeah, that there's some sort of um, blasphemy exception to free speech or some sort of hate speech exception or, or something like, I mean, it's like what I, I just it, it just drives me crazy that people are not taught basic, you know, constitutional principles. I mean, this is something that every American should know. Like, this is what we should be learning instead of the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, is like the Bill yeah, of Rights. Yeah. Well, I know? happen to, yeah, I happen to completely agree with you. And that's part of the reason I made this film. You know, it's funny because, like, you have these kind of famous landmark Supreme Court cases from the 1960s and 70s that were about some of these church state issues, like prayer in schools is a good example. 
And, you know, the court over and over again in that period of time, you know, rules against things like prayer in public schools. Um, you know, and it was incredibly unpopular. It's worth remembering that people as a whole hated those Supreme Court decisions and felt that they were awful. But people don't care what the Constitution says. <laughs> In general, people care, like, what they think is right and wrong, and they conflate that with the law. And it's, it's just an interesting thing to watch kind of unfold over and over again. Right, but there just seems to be this this point of view, like, it's okay since it's my side doing it. And, I mean, I would never, you know, endorse a, a system where, you know, adults were to force school children to get up and say, I don't believe there's a God, irrespective of what they actually believe. I mean, that just seems so wrong and just uh, right. perverted to me, even but, though I agree with the sentiment. But I, I, and I right, just, but that's because, that's because you don't have the zeal, the religious zeal of an evangelical Christian who believes that you're, he's, he or she is saving your soul from eternal damnation. I mean, imagine if that's what you thought the stakes were. There's a <laughs> there's a very um a very pitched battle here because you know the people on the other side of this argument from you or from me believe that that heaven and hell are real, that God and the devil are real, and that the stakes of this battle are you know, sort of beyond anything that you or I could ever imagine. So, you know, if you think of it from their point of view, it's like not hard to feel empathy for or compassion for the person who like really believes they should force kids to like pray, you know, pray to God every day. Right. But of course, that same logic leads to, I mean, that's the sort of like kill them all and uh, kill them all and let God sort them out. I mean, if you actually believe people are going to heaven and hell, based on perfect moral judgments, uh, you know, what's the harm of just killing everyone and letting God figure it out? Right. It's true. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you, so you mentioned that, um, you know, and, and I confess I was in this camp before I watched your movie that I, I thought of the satanic temple as sort of like an internet troll prank group. Right. Um, and, and definitely watching your movie changed my mind about that, especially, I mean, I think anyone would be struck by the scene where, where Lucian is strapping on a bulletproof vest before going out to a, a, a rally. And, you know, no one's doing this. No one's going to go through that. I mean, he makes this point, but no one's going to go through that as, as part of a prank. You know, it's just not worth it. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that that's definitely what I thought as well. I mean, I began the project making that assumption and it, it makes sense. You know, because, again, it's not an either-or proposition. Like, yes, they are internet trolls, you know, and pranksters, and they are really Satanists. Like, both of those things are true, because the core of Satanism is to embrace, you know, joking and pranking and being mischievous and, you know, freaking people out. Like, that's all kind of, like, part of the religious identity. It's not it's not evidence that they're insincere. It's like actually just part of it. I mean, what I kept thinking of watching that scene is, I don't know if this is true, but years ago I went to a movie screening at the Writers Guild Theater in LA. And they, in the Q and A, they asked the director, what movie would, if you could make any movie, what would it be? And he said, they would never let me make this movie, but 
the way he describes it was the story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, that he says, like any reasonable person reading the historical record would think that this religion was started as a as a cynical con to make money. But that at the end right. of Joseph Smith's life that he in this telling anyway, um, you know, sort of went to what he knew must was almost certainly certain death rather than abandon this religion he had created. And he thought that that was mm-hmm. an interesting character arc to go from, you know, a con man to a to some level of uh, devotion to this thing that you've created. And, yeah, you know, I, I could see like if if Satanism becomes a major religion in a thousand years or something, you know, it might have started off as a prank. But, uh, you know, what sort of once you're in it uh, in, in uh, one step at a time, you get just drawn more and more into it and you don't want to uh, abandon it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, I think it's an astute observation on your part in the sense that probably many of the religions that now we take for granted as kind of being real um, uh, started out that way, started out with kind of cons or press conferences or lying or magic tricks, you know, Um, and I, I think that that's just kind of part of what what brings people to certain ideas, you know, it's like kind of good marketing. Um, But then once you get there, what do the ideas have to offer, you know, and and people don't stick around for Satanism just because it's funny. People stick around for Satanism because for, for a person who is a Satanist, Satanism brings them a great deal of meaning and value. And it really makes their lives so much better in a way that, of course, goes far, far beyond like any kind of, again, cynical joke or, or political prank. I mean, because, you know, started the, at the start of the movie, when Lucian is, uh, you know, placing his testicles on uh, Fred Phelps's mother's grave, you know, mm-hmm. it does seem like there's a, um, you know, that the, 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 it's achieved a level of seriousness by the end of the movie where you think like, you know, we, we've gone a long way from from that sort of prank. That's right. Yeah. And you see that evolution um, on the part of Lucian Greaves, you know, um, and he knows as much as anyone knows that there is something lost as you become kind of more and more, um, you know, as the work you do becomes more and more important to more and more people, you're just not free to like run around doing whatever silly fun thing you want to do. Um, I'm sure he would still love to do things like that, <laughs> like the pink mask. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not a role for him anymore. Well, right. And that's an interesting sort of subplot in the movie is this idea of the, the satanic temple becoming more respectable or more uh, bureaucratic and, you know, having mm-hmm. bylaws and stuff. And it's just kind of a funny juxtaposition of, of that sort of stuff with, with the idea of Satanism. Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I knew that we would explore that in this film from the beginning because it seems to me that there is a sort of basic unavoidable irony or at least tension between the values of Satanism and the sort of needs of any institution. Um, you know, sort of the, the center of Satanism is meant to be rebellion against authority, um, you know, and sort of being your own person and not falling into line and not you know, being part of the herd and all this stuff. uh, It makes, you know, running a meeting very difficult. Yeah. I want to just note about how how interesting Lucian is as a character. I mean, he's just so smart. I mean, you you include this, um, these these excerpts from this Tucker Carlson interview 
um, in the film. And I went and watched the whole interview. And, I, you know, in all my years as a, a news junkie, I, I don't think I've ever seen a news host lose an argument so badly as in just this, <laughs> you know, four or five minute clip where he's going toe to toe with Lucian. I mean, he's just so sharp and everything he says is just so on point. Yeah, I think that's true. That was part of what drew me to him as a character as well. And, and I mean, you've talked about this, but just how, how reluctant he is. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's this very sort of quiet, intellectual sort of person and not at all a, um, a grandstander. He's really not, and he's not a particularly good, like, showman in certain ways, you know? Like, he's not like this kind of charismatic cult leader type who can hypnotize the crowd and charm everybody, you know? Like, that's not him. He's very intellectual. He'd rather be at home reading a book um, than pretty much doing anything else, you know? And uh, I kept thinking, like, you know, and I kept asking him in different interviews, like, why are you doing this? You know, it really feels like it's not what someone like you would want to do with their life, you know? Um, and it, his answer was always the same. It just it felt like this is important work. And for a variety of kind of chance reasons, it's fallen to me to do it, and I'm going to do the best I can. And once I started, I couldn't stop, right? Because once he became Lucian Greaves, you know, the success or failure of the Satanic Temple starts to kind of so directly impact his ability to sort of function in the world for the rest of his life. He can never go back to just being a normal person, um, so, you know, the stakes of the, of the organization's success at this point feel like almost life and death to him. I mean, all the reviews I've seen for this movie have been really positive. Do you feel like, do you, do you, do you agree with that? And, and do you feel like that represents sort of a turning point for the way that people in the media cover the Satanic Temple? I hope that's true. Yeah. And the reviews have been outstanding, um, really surprisingly great. Um, and I would hope so. I mean, I think if nothing else, you know, like this is all just cultural conversation, you know, these are just ideas, like the idea of what is Satan? What does Satan stand for? What is a Satanist? You know, what does it mean to say you are satanic or aligned with Satanism or whatever? All these things are, if you're mean, you don't believe that there's such a thing as the devil, like literally down in hell then you acknowledge that these are just ideas, you know? These are ideas that can change, and the meaning of these symbols and ideas and mythologies and images can change very rapidly, in fact. So it's not a crazy idea to think that in a 100 years, the Baphomet monument that the Satanic Temple made as part of their kind of, um, you know, Ten Commandments campaign could someone could look at that monument and instantly know that the meaning of that monument is not like death and torture and destruction and worshiping the devil, but in fact that the meaning of that monument is religious pluralism, the importance of um, embracing blasphemy and standing up for justice, you know, what is just in the face of extreme opposition. You know, it's not like a crazy idea that that's what Satan could come to mean in the, in the cultural conversation. I mean, it would be interesting to see what happens with uh, with children born to Satanists and second and third generation Satanists, because so many religions, they start out as kind of 
you know, sort of extreme, somewhat dangerous kind of cults. And then, but then people who are born into it, it's just normal to them. And they, you know, tend to be more kind of upstanding citizen kind of characters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll have to just see. It's a very good religion. You know, uh, Satanism was only sort of started in 1966 by Anton LaVey. I mean, there was never any organized group of people who called themselves Satanists before that. So it's it's very, very new. Yeah. Did you um, follow this? There was this lawsuit. Uh, the, the Satanic Temple filed a lawsuit against the, the TV show, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Did you follow that at all? Yeah, I mean, I followed it as a person, but it happened after we uh, finished the film. So it wasn't, it probably wouldn't have been in the film anyway. I'm not sure how important it was to the story we were telling. Um, although it was kind of a weird, interesting <laughs> kind of side to story in the end. Uh, I mean, what did you think of that lawsuit as a filmmaker? Do you feel like what the TV show did, that they, they deserve to be sued over it? Oh yeah. I mean, there was no question. Uh, that that was a direct and blatant ripoff of the of the design of their monument, and um, you know the fact that the lawsuit was settled in less than a week uh, should tell you something, you know, about how cut and dry that really was. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but it, it, I was sort of wondering, you know, if um, you know a fantasy TV show made a near replica of some um, crucifix from a church or something. Would the church sue sue the TV show, do you think? Oh, sure. I mean, especially if the church uh, saw that their, you know, sort of um, lovingly crafted image that they had invested a lot of effort and money and time and, you know, their souls into was being used to promote the very opposite of what it is they actually believe. And that was the case with Sabrina. I mean, perhaps if Sabrina, the teenage, I haven't seen this show, but whatever it's called, if they had used that monument in the spirit of what it actually means to the Satanic Temple, then maybe they wouldn't have sued them. I don't know, you know, but but they were using it um, to promote these kind of ideas that Satanism is about worshiping evil and being bad person and being antisocial. And, you know, the Satanic Temple's ongoing mission with that monument, ongoing lawsuits with that monument could be very negatively affected by that kind of portrayal. Hmm. Do you have any sense of whether the settlement made a big difference in the financial um, situation for the temple? Because they, they mentioned in the I, film that that, that, that they, they make money just from selling t-shirts and stuff like that. So, Yeah, I, I don't, I actually have no idea because of course none of us have any idea what, what happened with the the settlement. I know that they got credit, at least in the credits, you know, for like the art design, which is good. Uh-huh. I mean, did you, I would imagine pe- members of the Satanic Temple are big horror fans and watch a lot of horror movies. Did you talk to any of them about that? Um, I, no, not really. I mean, I, I never really, I never really was that interested in like the kind of, um, aesthetic dimensions of Satanism because it just feels like it's on the surface. Like you can sort of see it like, well, here's the, the music and, and the tattoos and the color black, you know, and all those kind of stuff. So it's sort of there to be observed, but I didn't, I didn't really ask a lot of questions about it. I mean, one thing that struck me was that so many of the uh, journalists covering the Satanic Temple seem to have a lot of trouble understanding how, Satan could be a hero or how you could see Satan as a hero, which seems really strange to me because 
you know, for uh, you actually you, you reference it in the movie, but you know the the John Milton poem Paradise Lost, you know that that he discovered that it's very hard to tell a story to to, to tell this story about a rebel uh, fighting tyranny uh, and have that character not seem like the hero, even if you're trying to 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 make him seem like the villain. Uh, and it just seems like that's such a well known story in our culture that I don't, maybe I'm giving journalists in general too much credit or something, but. Yeah, well, why did people not? Why did more people not read Paradise Lost? I guess is my question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I have anything smart to say about that. But most people don't read anything, so that's probably the answer. Yeah, I just want more people to read Paradise Lost and more people to read the Bill of Rights. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's your takeaway. Yeah, I think that's good. I think uh, people who watch Hail Satan, the documentary, should probably want to read Paradise Lost and the Bill of Rights. I think that's good. That's good advice. Uh, have there been any other uh, responses to the movie that have stuck out to you, just from people, like uh, audiences at screenings or Q&A, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, again, I, I've been pretty astounded by how positive the reception has been, and it's really something. It's really something special to behold when you watch you know, crowds of people walking out of a theater with these gigantic smiles on their faces because they've obviously had this kind of fun experience that's given them joy and, and, and uplift and inspiration, but also kind of like this sort of strange look on their face of <laughs> concern because they're really trying to figure out if they're a Satanist or not. And they've never had to ask that question before. So it's a very new there's a lot of new ideas in this film and watching people kind of take those new ideas in and try to process them has been really, really fun. And I think the success of the film is that it's so entertaining and it's funny and it's light and it, you know, kind of rolls along in a kind of fast way. It, it keeps people from noticing just how much their minds are being expanded, um, which is typically kind of a, a painful process, you know? To realize that you've been wrong about so many things is usually a quite unpleasant experience, but if you can make it part of a fun, entertaining, accessible film, then, you know, you don't notice that it's, like, actually really a lot of intellectual labor. I mean, the movie, making the movie made you wrestle with whether you were a Satanist, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Many times. So where did you, where did you land on that? Well, I, I landed on not being a Satanist. I think, you know, you can be sort of allied to and aligned with the mission and values of Satanism or the Satanic Temple specifically without yourself being a Satanist. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a religious identity. And, um, you know, it's not like a T-shirt you just put on. And it doesn't, it just doesn't feel... Like, it's my religious identity. So, you know, I kind of just came to the reluctant conclusion that I would stay uh, a lonely, a lonely atheist <laughs> forever. <laughs> well, I, I don't think being a lonely atheist is that bad. I mean, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons that religion just doesn't appeal to me is, I mean, you know, I, I think the Satanic Temple was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, but I, I wouldn't want to spend hours every week talking about Satan. I mean, I just have other things I want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a kind of person that thinks that for whom 
a religious identity is very, very important. I mean, I think the only surprise in my film is to discover that some of those people are Satanists. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we're pretty much out of time, Penny. So did you have any just uh, any final thoughts or any other projects you want to mention or anything like that? No, I'm pretty much just doing Satan all the time these <laughs> days, so no time for any other projects. But I don't know, I guess I would just encourage your listeners to check out the film, and even if they think it sounds extremely offensive, or maybe especially if they, sound, if they think it sounds extremely offensive, it's really worth their time especially. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to watch it. It's it's one of the smartest movies I've seen in years and also one of the funniest movies I've seen in years. So I, I give it my wholehearted recommendation. Well, thank you. I heard that Alex Jones talked about it for about an hour today on his show. So I'm very excited to find out what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. So I think we're going to have to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Penny Lane about her new documentary, Hail Satan. So Penny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was fun. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Penny Lane for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Arthur Brown, who just made a one-time contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.